From the high desert in Far East West Texas, this is the world's fastest growing sports media podcast with that sports TV ratings. Hi, I'm Robert Seidman. Thanks for listening. And joining me on the High Desert Hotline for this episode is Sports Illustrated's Richard Deitch. Richard, not to go all prints on you, but uh, it's been seven hours and 15 days, I think. Welcome back to the world's fastest growing sports media podcast with that sports TV ratings. Well, always good to be with you, Robert. You know, I've noticed since I've been gone, you had, um, I believe, did you have John Orand on at one point? You had Jim Miller. Jim Miller. I know that. Orand, 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 yep, once since, since you've last been on. Okay, so you have John Oren, the, the, now the dean of sports media writers. You have Jim Miller, obviously the, you know, the the wealth of information about uh, ESPN. Yeah, nobody connected, nobody connected more to management. You had Kevin Draper on, who the New York Times uh, declared when they hired him as the best sports business reporter in the country. So I see that you have now gotten to the point where you have slummed down to the fifth seed at the U.S. Open. So I'm back. So it's exciting to be here. So let's let's talk about Draper for a second, because I, I got to say, like, I thought I mean, I knew he'd be good, but I thought he was really good on my podcast. Well, you, Draper's a smart guy um, and a good writer. So, um, you know, providing uh, uh, him him being insightful and having an interesting take on the business was um, was no surprise. I've never met him in person. We've corresponded um, a couple times over email. Uh, I think he was a deadsman when they took their big blast at me so i'm not sure how much i i'm not, I'm not sure how, I'm not, it'll take me a couple of years to really love kevin draper but, okay. well, uh, but he's, so a, I, he's a he's a smart guy no doubt about it and um and i have no doubt he'll do good work at the times yeah so i i you know i i just thought you know i'm always uh looking for for people who uh do are, are really good talking about sports media and uh Kevin is really good. You're really good. John Orand is really good. So there are lots. Oh, of really you're good like a, you're like a PR agent. Uh, like well, you know what? Like, uh, so let me uh, let me uh, do a shout out to uh, to John Lewis uh, Paulson underscore SMW on uh, Twitter. He was great on your podcast. I think that was the good. first time I heard him, and I was I was blown out of the water, blown away. Like wow, he was great. We like to uh, you know highlight undiscovered. Uh, Gems. We're not really undiscovered because obviously in the industry everybody he's, he's uh, certainly reads him. But yeah, he was really. I mean, you know the and you know this, Robert. There, there's so much. Um, there's so much kind of narrative out there about sports ratings specific to the NFL, of course, because it's yeah. become such a hot button issue with activism and um, and owners talking about you know not allowing their players to uh, kneel at the flag, et cetera. Yeah. So you really, it's important, I think, at least for what we do to bring on people who really study the numbers and can provide some like real analytics on what is real and what is not. And yep. that's where I thought John Lewis was great in that he, he can sort of at least point out and give you like a thesis as to, okay, here's what the NFL ratings were in 2015 and 2010. Here's where they are today yep. in 2017. What are the reasons for the decline as opposed to the easy knee jerk? Yep. The NFL is done and buried because of Colin Kaepernick. It's just, it's just not correct. And, and that's, that's why I thought Lewis was really good and that he could sort of provide you with some interesting analysis um, going behind the numbers. That's where I like Anthony Krupe as well, yep. who just cuts of ad age, who just cuts straight to the chase. He's well connected with media buyers and ad buyers, buyers and sort of just tells you, here's where the NFL is, here's where they're down from last year, here's the household ratings, and here is why I believe things are where they are. That, that's, that to me is important, interesting data. 
Yeah, and uh, so I'm I'm sure others have recommended it. I will recommend it as well. You should have uh, Krupi on a, a future media roundtable. I think he would. Uh, he would so now you're you're you went from being a PR <laughs> person for ESPN to my producer. <laughs> you have two jo- three jobs now, Robert. Uh, well, uh, well, he'll be on. Of, he'll he'll. I just it's just, just going to be a, a question of when, but he'll definitely be on. Yeah. So he he's he's great. So you know, I, there there are a few sports media topics uh, like NFL ratings that that I do want to talk to you about. Uh, but listening to your latest podcast this morning with uh, with Gino Oriema, which was great. Um, I, I, you know, I just had a thought and the thought kind of goes like this is like Gino's kind of doing the uh, the upscale highfalutin version of what I'm doing, which is, hey, I'm just going to do this and have fun with it. Uh, he's got a much better Rolodex to do that with than I do. <laughs> But, uh, but, you know, it, it occurred to me, it's like, okay, you know, Gino can do whatever he wants with his podcast and, and, and Gino will be fine. And I could do whatever I want with my podcast. And so I can have you on and I can have Jim Miller on, but I can also have on, you know, people like uh, Matt Roberts at D1 Ticker and uh, Matt Sarziniak, who just kind of is a, is a all around good dude computer programmer who, who's uh, putting some of his skills uh, to, to use on the internet. And I, you know, I don't have to worry about the, uh, about the downloads. Uh, I can just do it and feel really good about it. And you don't get that luxury. What, what is it, what is it like for you to produce a podcast where you, where you can't exactly just do whatever you feel like doing? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, if you're in Gino's, you know, Gino is doing this essentially because it's, um, it's, it's a pure passion play for him. He doesn't, yep. there's, there's no download requirements. As you said, he makes millions of dollars. He's, uh, this is not a monet. I, I mean, the po- his podcast may make money, but it's sure. not a monetization play um it is different for me i'm part of a network at sports illustrated you know peter king has a podcast uh the uh open floor guys andrew sharp and Galver have a podcast albert breer has one i think we have another nfl one as well and we're while we, we're not given specific numbers to hit they make it very clear that we have to be around a certain amount of downloads um each week so that this relationship with our production company cadence 13 right. you know continues heading forward so you know, I mean, I honestly, I can't have a podcast that like just got 5,000 downloads like right. week after week after week. You know, I have to be in the, um, in the, you know, uh, low to mid, uh, five figures. Uh, you know, I mean, my podcast sort of can vary from, uh, you know, 20,000 downloads to, you know, if things were like unbelievable and, you know, I just hit lightning in a bottle, like 80,000, 90,000. And the, the numbers are good, they're, but they're not, this is not part of my take. It's a niche podcast and, right. and it always will be. But it does, I'm not going to lie, Robert, it does preclude, preclude me from having some people on who I think would be really interesting but nobody knows. Right. And a, a lot of my podcast is guest centric in the promotion of it, not necessarily the conversation of it. So a lot of times what I'll do, um, and to the credit of both the production company and SI that allow me, is if I really want to have somebody on who I just think is just like really interesting or newsworthy that week, but they're not, they're either very city centric or not very well known, sometimes they'll let me double up. And if I double up, I'm always going to get whatever number. They want me to hit, but it's, you know, I, I, I would not lie to your audience that the commercial implications are always out there. And like one of the things, if I know that um, if I have if I had Jim Miller on every week and let's say O'Rand on to do a roundtable, like I, I would get far bigger numbers right. on that podcast than if I brought in um, – you know, like uh, I'm just sort of trying to think, like like the three guys from who are independent, 
sports people trying to start their own site, like Paul Kuharski, or if I brought on a couple of people from The Athletic uh, just to sort of talk about that business model. Right. So I, I always, I mean, it's just the reality of the situation. You do have to think about, I, I try to sort of do it as who's interesting, but also the component of who potentially can get um, can get listeners uh, is important. I, the, the one thing I will say, though, is I never in a million years would have expected the amount of listeners I do have. Um, you know, since I started, it's in the, you know, I don't know the exact number, but it's in the millions and millions in terms of, of total downloads. Right. And for that, for that to have existed for a sports media podcast, I mean, yeah. a very niche podcast, is pretty amazing. It does also tell me that the market um, – uh, then there, there's mass. There's more interest in this kind of news than I think many sports outlets um, real uh, have realized. And 2017 is a perfect encapsulation of that. In that, look at all the news, whether it's Jamel Hill or yep. you know ESPN's decision on Robert Lee or you know 50,000 other stories that you you've written about or I've written about. Look how many of those stories have crossed over from the sports media landscape into the larger sports yeah. landscape or even the larger popular culture landscape. So it's a, it's a big beat. Yeah, so you know how how much is it even your control podcast wise? Like if if you wanted to do two podcasts every week, is that something you could you could do or is is, is that like a process you have to go through to get that approved? I I would love to do it. Um but the process is we have st- we 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 basically um, rent out is not the right phrase because the production company obviously owns it, but but we have to be slotted into um, uh, a, a sort of a production schedule for them. So they, based on the advertising of a of how, you know based on their advertising model, and based on their production schedule, they would prefer us doing one pot a week versus two. Um, they the the company is pretty good about you know listen if I'm like hey. I don't even know what the example would be, but like, uh, uh, you know, Chris, Chris Burma's not the right example. Uh, you know, John Gruden um, just left Monday Night Football and so-and-so analysts is coming in and I call them and say, listen, I'd love to do just 20 minutes on this. I feel like people would be interested. They'd be cool and accommodate me, but it's it's not as simple as me walking into uh, – th- this is the – there's upsides, huge upsides to – having a really good podcast production company with you, which is obviously, you know, world-class production, yeah. really smart editing, um, great studios. The downside, honestly, of not being independent is if it was an independent, I could walk into some production, uh, you know, uh, studio at SI and just do it every day. Yeah, That's the downside. So I, I am under a little bit of a, of a, of a sort of a scheduling handling in that I have to book the schedule, uh, book the studio a week in advance. I have to let them know, you know, the times we have a, a podcast schedule where my thing comes out 7 a.m. every Thursday. So I have some flexibility, Robert, but I'm also under guidelines based on a larger contract that's way above my head. Yeah, it's 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 uh, it's, it's just very interesting to me. The uh, uh, you know, I, I, I know it's not your problem to solve, but uh, I, I think that, uh, you know, companies like Cadence, uh, there there's there's some flexibility stuff. For, for them to figure out that I think will make all this stuff work a little bit better. Well, here's the one thing I would say, because they've been really, really good to me. I mean, I'm honestly pretty small potatoes for them. I mean, they have sure. pod saves America. Um, they got you the, know, uh, in terms the of sports reporters. Now I see lose. Yeah. That's not time. a big, I mean, that, that yeah, that's, that, I'm probably doing more business than the sports boards. No disrespect to album, but uh, <laughs> you know, they have Woj, they have, they have Woj's podcast. I mean, they oh, have yeah, some yeah, big, yeah, sure. They recode. They got some big, big timers. Jim there. Miller's origins. So, is Jim there. Miller's origins, which is which is big hits. 
Kornheiser, huge hit. I mean, that's a big hit. So, you know, they, they I understand where they're coming from. They have they have to prioritize oh, sure. a lot of scheduling and they, they should prioritize some of those other podcasts over mine. But in an ideal world, honestly, if I could have my ideal podcast sort of um you know, sort of druthers, I, I would love to do one that comes out uh right after the weekend so you could sort of talk about a lot of the sports media stuff that happened on the weekend oh, and yeah, then one that would come come out Thursday or Friday where it would be sort of what the production schedule is now. I would love to do two a week and maybe that'll happen um down the road. Uh, that, I I think there's a really big advantage for like part of my take and the Simmons podcast network on the ringer frequency and yeah. you're a big listener of podcasts as am I yeah. frequency is huge. I mean yeah. my favorite podcast right now, my two favorite are uh, the Daily, which is a daily podcast from the New York Times, which I yeah. think the frequency of that really helps it. And I like something to wrestle with, which is the great uh, podcaster right, right. Conrad Thompson and Bruce Pritchard. But they have a network, the MLW network, where you can get multiple wrestling podcasts essentially every day. And right. I do think there is something to frequency where it's not just once a week. So that's why I would love it to even be twice a week because I feel like that gives you a, just a bigger chance of getting – more intimacy with a new audience. Yeah, I agree. Well, well, uh, well. Thanks for thanks for sharing that. I I, I had just sure. been kind of kind of curious about uh, what that is like for you because for me now, you know, a, a lot of people do say no. I mean, I have asked people and they go no. Uh, but and 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 uh, you know, I I take uh, I take podcast rejection very well. Other forms of rejection, maybe not so much. But uh, <laughs> but to have the ability, you know, to ask whoever I want and and do it whenever I want. Uh, you know that that's a big piece of it f- for me. I and 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 so for you to be putting out the uh, the quality of a product that you've been putting out for what's you're in your third year, twenty late twenty fifteen. Yeah, so so, uh, so yeah, I, and actually you know you know it's interesting. Uh, this is a total aside, but when we first started, it was me and um, Bet Marston, who's uh, the our NFL producer now at SI.com, and a guy named Alan Kim, who's sort of this. Yep. tech genius who I work with. We basically were just doing it in a tiny closet, a swimsuit closet, by the way. The, the literally, <laughs> we, we did it. We, there was like a little like podcasting uh, cheap equipment, and we were in the swim, the, the, the SI swimsuit closet where um, uh, women come in to, uh, I think, I'm not sure they necessarily, I'm trying to think what swimsuit does with that stuff. I think that's where they keep all the swimsuit stuff where they eventually pack it up and travel with on the shoots. Like they, they needed a room, a storage room. So, I mean, we talk, we were just doing it in nowhere land. And I did some podcasts with some really like well-known people, like really at the start that I, I, I hope I can do again. Rachel Nichols and Adam <laughs> yeah, Schefter were on my first, yep. first show, but that was late ages ago. I mean, yep. nobody really heard that because it was just, again, but the production quality wasn't good and we were doing it. I did Vern Lundquist, I think, on my second show. Um, to, to his everlasting credit, one of the early shows, this guy named Paul Heyman, he's a very, very famous uh, wrestling awesome. manager and producer. He actually came to SI and sat in this crappy swimsuit closet and let me do the uh, podcast there. So my hope is that actually some of the people I did way early in 2015, that I, I hope I could actually get them now uh, under the Cadence 13 framework, which is, you know, it's like, uh, it's like taping at AT&T Stadium compared to a Little League <laughs> Stadium where we used to. So we'll we'll see if I can get those guys again. Yeah, and and I'm going to throw another plug out here. So I, I am I'm not a a wrestling guy. WWE, WWF. I I, I just never was that into it. Uh, but uh, the the one with Paul Heyman, 
he was great. He's a really entertaining Phenomenal. guy. I highly recommend if you if you didn't listen to the the early days of uh, Richard's podcast, I highly recommend going back and. Uh, he's a, he's a poem and is a uh, a wrestling savant. He's a sort of a genius uh, in that world. And what's interesting, Robert, and this is just more of a sports media story, is you know there are certain genres that have really hit big in podcasting. Basketball is one. NBA. Yep. NBA Twitter, NBA podcasting is huge. It's a young audience uh, between you know eighteen and thirty four. They consume everything about basketball. Yeah. So you know you saw the basketball friends. We have our open floor here. Zach Lowe's podcast, Woj's podcast. You know, uh, just like go down. You know, Nate Duncan. Just go down the list. Like that is huge content. Another one of these humongous growth areas has been wrestling because there just is an insatiable desire either for. Uh, stories about the old days or people commenting on what they're seeing each week on SmackDown and Raw. And you do these, and I appreciate when you do this, you put this out there. Um, you know, Raw and SmackDown ratings, no matter what you say about wrestling, whether you like it or you don't, yeah. as a television uh, franchise, it is an incredible television franchise that these two shows are still five pulling three, five hours a week, pulling three million. Or two million, and if you look at the eighteen to forty-nine demos, particularly in men, they're basically kicking everybody's ass on cable every time they're on. So it is such a strong franchise for a demo that TV wants. Yeah. So the uh, so the the Ric Flair thirty for thirty beat SmackDown with uh, with eighteen to forty-nine, but yeah, Smack, but SmackDown still had uh, had more total viewers. So the uh, you know, so that that's it. That was an interesting uh, comparison for me, just to see, you know, the the old. I, I think there were a lot of people who watched both, and that's just the way it works. They both. Yeah. Counted. Did you did did you think it was interesting? And I think it was very. Uh, it was it, not. I think it was intentional that ESPN put um, started the flare dock at 10 p.m. Eastern. I think that's the latest they've ever started the 30 for. 30. Oh yeah, so they wouldn't have to compete with. Uh, yes, I did. Well, I did. Well, actually, not, not just not only competing with SmackDown, but to try to get. To try to use SmackDown on another network as you're leading, yeah, which was smart. And and uh, you know, I'd have to I'd have to look at the uh, the last 15 minutes of the uh, the nine nine thirty half hour. Uh, but uh, I think that might might have worked for them uh, very well. They got uh, look at the, the. I was gonna say the last thing on that is the number that they got for the thirty for thirty. I think it was one point eight million, right? Um, that in the last year and a half is a very, very good number for an ESPN 30 for 30. They, yeah. they actually have been trending a little bit lower, uh, you know, in the one fours, one threes, like the yeah. Mike and the Mad Dog one, admittedly was regional, but that was yeah. under a million. Yeah. So this was a great number for a 30 for 30. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, I, I agree with that. So um, I, I do have a couple sports media topics. One of them is, uh, you know, courtesy of our, our friend Jim Miller, and we've, we've talked about this, uh, even though you haven't been on in a while, we've still talked about it. Uh, the, the whole sort of the genesis of uh, Jim first saying on your podcast, I believe in May, that uh, he, he didn't think SC6 would be around as it currently was a year from now at that time. And uh, now pretty much, I guess, uh, post, post the, uh, the, the Twitter suspension and all that stuff, uh, you are now on board uh, thinking also that uh, SC6, as, at least as it's currently uh, constituted, will not be around a year from now. And uh, it's an interesting thing for me. I, I agree with everything you've said historically about the 6 p.m. Sports Center. But, like, I looked at the, you know, I looked at the, the ratings for Tuesday, and uh, PTI was down 10% year over year, and uh, the 6 p.m. Sports Center was down 9% year over year. And, mm -hmm. and somehow, ratings-wise, we got, 
we got into this place where I think the, the largely the coverage of SC6 ratings goes something like this. If it wasn't a rating success, it was a ratings failure. And uh, I don't see it that way, but uh, I understand that that's out there. Um, but, you know, my, my thinking is this. What could they possibly do that's going to do better than keeping pace with whatever PTI's declines are? Uh, the answer is nothing. I mean, I, my, I, I, I end up hitting my head against the wall because it's just to, to answer all the people, especially on Twitter, who are always asking, like, ratings questions about SC6. So, I mean, I'll say it again, and I've been saying it for two years. There is literally nothing that you can put on at 6 p.m. Eastern under the Sports Center rubric that is going to grow year over year anymore. The world has just changed too much. One, you're dealing with cord cutters and cord nevers, so you're dealing with a lesser house, lesser number of households for ESPN to start with. So you're dealing with a smaller base, and then beyond that, the what Sports Center's intention has long been, what it, what its ethos and charter has been, is just been blown up in an era of of highlights that we can get instantaneously, and the sort of need for a show to sort of sit around and catch up on the sports news of the day. Furthermore, that time slot is a weird time slot in that it's a, it's a lead-in to whatever ESPN has on that night, but a lot of times what ESPN will have on that night is kind of a regional game or a regional best base play. So it's not like you can even hyper-focus on that game because you would lose people from a different part of the right, country right. who might not be interested in you know North Carolina versus you know uh, LSU football. So it has nothing, and I've said this from the beginning, whether you like Jamel Hill and Michael Smith or you hate them, no one was coming into that slot and was going to game change the slot, whether that was Zarniak, whether that's Michael Hill and Jamel Smith, Jamel Smith, Michael Hill, Jamel Hill or Michael <laughs> Smith, whether, whether that is the next per people coming in. So I do think it is interesting to look at what PTI is doing, which is, by the way, a great lead-in, no better yeah. lead-in for, yeah. for those guys in the, in the network to see what they are doing in terms of their trend versus what SE6 is. So what would be interesting is if PTI was down 5% year over year and SE6 is down 20%, well, then you might be like, you know what? Uh, get People rid of this now. Not, yeah. Right. You're not, they're not following. They're not tuning in. As a general rule, it's kind of tracked the same, which means yeah. that SE6 suffers the same kind of declines that PTI does, and they will gain, get the same kind of gains when something crazy happens in sports and everybody yeah. – pops on ESPN because they want to see it. The, yeah. the second question, it's a totally different issue, is what, what is going to happen to this show? And again, I give Miller credit. I feel like he, he was – not feel like. He was definitely sort of yeah. first on this. I think he was first on it because he, he clearly has some management sources there. Um, they have already, Robert, in my opinion, changed the show. If you look – and this is actually a really good exercise. Go back and look at the day that SC6 was announced and read that press release. That press release is all about individualism. The press release celebrates the chemistry between Michael and Jamel. The press release talks about in explicit terms about we want these guys to offer their opinion on the news of the day, uh, pop culture, uh, their, their sort of takes on social issues, politics, etc. What SC6 has now become is they've tweaked the show. They've tweaked the show to become more of a homogenized sports center. They're doing things in A block and B block that are very much like the other sports centers. Um, sports center has a new overall handler who's in charge of all the sports centers, Norby Williamson, who's an executive who's been there forever. Yeah. And I don't think that's un. I, I don't. I don't think. I don't think. Um, I, I. You know. You can connect the dots between a new top executive and 
that 6 p.m. Sports Center looking like some of the other ones. So I think they've already done it, Robert. I think they've already started to change that show to make it like the other sports centers. The question then becomes the talent. Is that the kind of show that that Michael Smith and Jamil Hill want to do? And I believe that eventually at a certain point that, at least in Jamel Hill's case, I believe that there will be a parting of uh, of the ways. I don't know if she necessarily would leave ESPN, although I would still probably bet uh, if I had to. If you were asking me to go to Vegas, I would bet that she won't be here one year from today. But but I do think that that show is heading to a certain place where they, ch- in my opinion, they changed what Jamel and Michael's vision of the show was. And once yeah. you do that. All you're doing, it feels like, Dennis, you're just following the script of somebody else's. And while it's a great-paying job, high-paying, blah, 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 I feel like management is sort of in its own way saying that they don't want what his and hers was anymore. They want this homogenized version of SportsCenter. And if that's the case, you wouldn't want those guys as your SportsCenter anchors, right? You would just you know, bring, that, in, bring in Typecast A and Typecast B and, and just do your 1990 SportsCenter. See, that's my frustration because if you're right – the Norvi, why not just do that right now? Like, like, why wait? Like, because if that's what I, it I is, I, I don't know the answer to that. It's a good question. I mean, I would say the answer to that probably is contractual. I mean, you know, Michael and Jamel get paid a lot of money. It's very possible that in their contracts, um, they were promised a spot guaranteed for like two years. You know, maybe, right, maybe, maybe the executive doesn't have it, but you, you're not wrong. It, like to me, if your whole idea now is you're going to have Jamel and Michael talk to like reporter X in the field, right? If you're going to bring Will Kane in or something like that for like a different opinion, then it's not what the sh- it's not what you brought them. You know, you you initially sold the whole world on sports centers are now personality driven. At twelve o'clock, you get Scott Manpelt's unique personality, gambling, bad bets, etc. At six p.m., it was supposed to be Jamel and Michael's unique chemistry where they 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 talked about sports through their prism. But that's not the case anymore. Right. What what's what's what 6 p.m. is now is Sports Center, like you know you used to know it, where you get the highlights of the day. You talk to somebody who's live at this game. So I'm with you on that. If that's the case, if it, if it's not what if it's not what you sold your talent on, then make the change. I mean, just bring in. There's no disrespect. You know, I can name anybody: Kevin Connors, Nicole Briscoe, uh, um, Kevin Nagandi. You know, just like yep. make make the change and bring in people who've hosted SportsCenter before and just go back to that. By the way, you go back to that, your ratings aren't going up. Yeah, they're, and, and they're, I think they're, they're, they're not going... Norby, Norby has to know that too. Yeah, so that's see, that's where I am. It's like, okay, no matter what you do, the ratings are going to be pretty much what the ratings are. I, I mean, Correct. I think I think everyone, you know, most reasonable people agree that the, the ratings are more to do with 6 p.m. than whatever you stick in Correct. the 6 p.m. slot. So, well, so, really, yeah, underline reasonable there. Unreasonable people <laughs> want, want to attack, uh, you know, uh, or, or, or want to claim that. But it's, 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 you know, there are, there are probably, there are probably places, there are not probably, there are parts at ESPN, day parts, that are absolutely personality driven. I, I do think if you took Stephen A. Smith off first take, which, as everybody knows, how I feel about that show, and brought in, <laughs> You know, brought in generic person A, the numbers would go down a little bit. Yep. I don't think there's any doubt about that. Yep. But the but but this is not the case on the 6 p.m. Sports Center day part. That that is a larger uh, that is a larger issue that has to do with consumer habits changing. Yeah, I mean, and, and uh, you know, I think the answer to how they should feel about the uh, whatever the declines are for the 6 p.m. Sports Center is. 
how do they feel about the, the PTI declines? Is because if right. they feel okay about the PTI declines, then uh, you know, then then not feeling okay about the the six p.m. Sports Center doesn't really make much sense to me. Oh, okay. Well, uh, yeah. I was gonna, the last thing on that is that you know they're going to be okay with the around the horn and the pardon interruption and any highly questionable yep. declines because their their probably best asset right now is Eric Rideholm because if nothing oh, else, sure. they know that they can get certain deliveries. With those shows, I mean, can you imagine if the schedule doesn't, if if that, if the ESPN schedule didn't have PTI on it, and you had something else there, and instead of pulling, I'm making this up, wait, you know, six hundred, seven hundred thousand viewers, instead they were getting four there. I mean, the the so so, I think ESPN management, certainly current management, they'll let those shows honestly like go as far as they can go till they sort of chug at the end. I, they're they're I don't think they're going to get anything better. Than the deliveries that they've gotten on around the horn and PTI in particular. Yeah, I I I I agree with that. So uh, just uh, switching gears, uh, I don't know if you saw the. Uh, I think it was in the uh, in in the in the Dallas paper, the Dallas Morning News, maybe or, or Dallas Newsday, the uh, NFL ratings and Mark Cuban's comments on on uh, the you know the secular implosion i guess that he's been talking about for three years of the of the NFL, but 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 within that. He came out with this idea that I, I just I, I can't describe how much I love the idea, which is he basically su- suggests that all the TV, the sports TV network should band together and form a coalition where they do nothing but promote how great you know it is to watch sports on TV versus watching them online. And I was wondering if you saw that and had any thoughts on that at all. I did, actually. And I, I happen to agree with Cubit in that the experience on of watching sports on linear television, particularly linear television where you have like 4K or really, really high-definition television, um, is a far better experience than watching on your computer. I mean, first and foremost, it's just sort of simple um, simple scale, yep. right? I mean, the, the television is a bigger product or a bigger, a, a bigger, a bigger structure than your computer or your iPad or your phone. So the experience has to be better just because it's a – it's a larger experience for you to enjoy. Um, I think the, the the quality and the pictures are better. You don't have to deal with any streaming issues. So your whatever your um, you know your sort of whole, how, however you get your internet, whether it's your cable company or whatever else, you're not dealing with those issues. Generally speaking, on television. So I think his idea, actually, interestingly enough, is really really smart because. The, the television, in my opinion, sports television, at least cable as well. They, right now, they have a marketing problem. Part of the mar- part of the part the problem is that they they have no sell to kids who are eighteen, nineteen, twenty, yeah. twenty one, who are part of the Netflix and you know um, Amazon generation, where where they think that's television. Like they that that that's that that you know that's what their television is for their times. Um, one of the ways to maybe sell younger people on sort of linear TV or cable TV would be like, Hey, like this, this is much more like a movie kind of theater experience than anything you're getting on your iPhone. Yeah. And I, I, I did uh, anecdotally see that uh, the NFL, I think cut, cut deals with like theaters in Canada to show the NFL in a movie, in movie theaters in Canada. That's interesting. I didn't see that. I mean, that, you know, that if you can get people to the theater, I mean, the experience, um, the experience would be great. You know, the, the the one thing, and you know, the 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 advantage, I guess, that you have with the streaming, and although again, you could do this on your TV, but you know, it, people, we are a second. Or, the, the generation 
uh, Y basically is a second screen generation. So I think they do like the idea of being able to play on their computer while watching like, you know, whatever the video is in like one part of their screen. So that, that is, I think, second nature to them. But I I don't, I mean, I don't know how you could argue with the fundamental premise of that Cuban is saying that the TV experience is better than the laptop or iPhone experience because like it just is, it's just, if you compared the two side by side, it's honestly not even close. Yeah. Uh, so I, so the, 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 the point for, for me there was that like, you know, when, when, when the disruptors come out and say, Oh no, you should watch it this way. or You should watch it that way. Uh, the TV networks just kind of sit back and take it. And I think, you know, they, they have a good story to tell, which is, Hey, you know what? Our stuff just works. And uh, you can get on Twitter and you, you won't be three minutes behind and you won't have to worry about the, the stuff being spoiled. I mean, there, there are angles for them to play up that, hey, th- this stuff works pretty well the way it is. And, uh, yeah, and, they, do, and they don't uh, do that. I, I think I don't know if that's a, if, if it's hubristic or if it's um, uh, laziness or something. But I, I do think that the, the especially the old school places have to sort of rethink how they sell themselves in the market, and also, more importantly, how they sort of sell themselves against their competitors and why they're a better product than their competitors. So I agree with you. I think at times they really do have a good story to tell, and um, they don't often they, they don't often tell it. Uh, you know, if you look at ESPN PR, they're they're it, it's taken them a long time, but they finally started to sort of start telling their story where they have strengths in college football and other places. I mean, for basically, I watched for a year and a half, them let, you know, FS1 was basically pinyoning them, right? I mean, yeah. it was like they'd have the pinata at the top, and Jamie Horowitz and his cronies would basically take the bat and blast it every day <laughs> when ESPN never sent anything back. Finally, they started telling their story. So it's the same sort of thesis. You do wonder why TV doesn't come back and sort of talk about what they do well. So, uh, yeah, I, I agree with you on that. So, so just uh, briefly on the uh, on the general topics of, of NFL ratings, um, I, you know, I, I, it looks to me like things level off to a place where they are in line with uh, with what your boy Jimmy Traina predicted at the beginning of the season, which is down a little bit versus last year. And uh, and they are down. I think the, I think the latest is five point five percent. Uh, versus 2016, which means, you know, they're still down double digits uh, versus 2015. But, uh, you know, it seems to have stabilized and not and not be a big deal and not really be a big thing. And I, I'm I am pretty much bored with it. But the uh, the lengths with with which people go to just kind of stick it to the NFL in, in some of the headlines, you know, I, I'm making this up, but, you know, something like dot, 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 but down 19% versus 2015. Um, You know, it it just seems like it's, it's piling on at this point. I'm just wondering like not what your thoughts on the ratings are so much as what the general tone of the coverage of the ratings is. Right. Well, let's first start off with your inaccuracy of calling training my boy. I mean, that's outrageous. (laughs) Um, I didn't call you a media critic at least. That's good. I appreciate it. That's right. (laughs) It's a running joke here in the newsroom between both of us. Um, So, um, well, let's first start off with this. I would have predicted the ratings were up this year, so I was wrong. I, I, I would have I would have thought they would have been up slightly, not big, but I thought. But I'm surprised, as a general rule, that they're that that they were down. Just given, I thought the fervor for cable news would have dropped a little bit. Yeah. Um. And you know, multitude of other reasons. Better, a little better quarterback in the league this year. Better games has not yeah. necessarily been the case. That said, um, the 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 if if you follow this stuff. 
the NFL has come back in the last couple of weeks. You know, they were down double digits early, yep. and now they've leveled off at 5.5. And I would imagine that I think by the end of the year, we're going to see single digit declines, whatever that is. A lot of it will depend on, um, you know, where teams are, you know, where the Cowboys are in particular. Yep. Yep. The league really needs the Raiders to be good because they're, they're on so many national platforms. Um, they need quarterbacks not to get hurt, which is always very important. Um, they need games to be uh, of meaning and consequence, and they need them to be good. Um, I think the coverage, Robert, like everything else, is I think narratives are run in places where they want to sort of narrative something. On Fox News, and I think a lot of right-leaning places, you're going to get a lot of headlines about NFL ratings are sinking and down, and they're going to try to link it to NFL player activism, Colin yeah. Kaepernick, et cetera. Yeah. You're going to see other places, incredibly enough, sort of defend the NFL. And I don't know if anybody really is like sort of defending the NFL. I do think there are places that sort of want to like break that narrative, uh, the Kaepernick narrative away. It's, it's sort of hard to defend the the, the, the NFL in full. But I, I, in terms of sort of the coverage, I, I've stopped like not paying attention is the wrong word. I, 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 when I look, when I want NFL ratings coverage, I go to people like Austin Carp of the Sports Business yep. Daily or Anthony Krupe. Um, you know, I look at your feed or Douglas Pucci. I, I no longer look at general interest writers, and maybe I put myself on this too, like because it's too many of those places are trying to sell a narrative. Yep. I, I trust at this point the TV. Uh, ratings geeks, because they're the ones who could actually give me the framework of, okay, where is where is the number right now? Where is the number in 18 to 49? How is it doing against everything else? What are uh, what are the what, what what are people paying for postseason and Super Bowl ads? And those yeah. those ads are essentially almost sold out. And we're going to hit record numbers in terms of five and a half million, six million for 30 seconds. So. Yeah, I, I don't discount that there are probably there are there are certainly advertisers out there who are not happy with how the NFL has handled this, and the NFL is you know always sort of falls over itself in in so many different ways. But the the notion that like you know millions of Americans are walking away from football um, because of the athlete active is just not true. It's just factually not true. Um, where I think we have to, as those of us who covered this stuff, rethink is. Was 2014 or 2013 the apex of all this? And like everything else on TV, are are we going? Is the new normal, you know, three percent, four percent declines right. for yeah. the NFL? And it and it and it might be. And the other thing is, and this has been brought up by many people, I think even including Cuban, there's no doubt they've been hurt by too many windows and a yeah. glut of games. Yeah. If if every game is great, and you have 32 star quarterbacks that you can market, then I think. You'd be flying. You do Thursday night football. You know, you do these. You do these sort of, um, you know, special games where you go to London, et cetera. But they don't. They don't have enough. The product is not good enough, in my opinion, for it to produce ratings gains year over year with this many windows. So I think if they're going to do Thursday night football, and I don't think there's any way they give it up, I think the league. I think the league's going to have to just sort of accept that with this glut of games and so many windows. You know, a four percent decline every year is just sort of what you're you're working with. That said, you're coming from the highest possible place compared to any other program on television. Your your average is, is eighteen, nineteen million to start. So even if you drop five percent or four percent, you're still basically beating the hell out of everything else on TV every week, every time. Yeah, and that and and that uh, 
and that 5% uh, decline is subsidized by the revenue from the from the from the Thursday NBC and CBS windows plus correct plus the carriage fees on NFL network that only exist because they have a few games that are only on the and, NFL network and you'll eventually and and in reselling the streaming rights for Thursday night yep. you're eventually going to get that number up too i mean the NFL yep. is not going to hurt for money i mean if they ever decide to like um, really invite like some of these tech companies in and give them some kind of like far better rights. They're they're gonna they're gonna get a fortune. I mean, what will be interesting in 2021 is you know who comes back to the table in the traditional places. I I, I read Jim Miller's think piece on NFL walking on ESPN walking away from NFL Monday games. I, I don't believe yeah Monday night. I don't believe that's gonna happen. But it is interesting for the next round of negotiations where the NFL. Finally, you know, the NFL's charter forever has been, we believe the best way to grow our product is to put games on over-the-air television yep. as a general rule. What will be interesting to me is if in 2021, that is still their belief. If Goodell is commissioner, I think it is. If Goodell's not commissioner, I don't know. We'll, we'll, oh, we'll see. Ooh, but but, but, but as, a fundam- as a fundamental thesis, I think that is correct. Until there is something else that is the most dominant um, – you know, medium to attract eyeballs. And that, in my opinion, that's not going to change in 2021. I believe your best possible way to sell your game to the biggest mass audience will still be with over the air uh, television places. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. So, you know, there's something, and, and I do want you to put on a little bit to the degree that you have one, your media critic hat for this. Uh, Tony Romo is interesting to me on many levels like how it's covered, all the people who are weighing in. Um, but, but there's an aspect of the story that, that to me, I think it's a, it's a big, big deal, but it hasn't really been covered. And, uh, and that's like what a classy guy Phil Sims has been. I, I mean, I, I, when, I, when I think about how classy he's handled the whole thing, there's just no, like in, and in this day and age when you know, class is, is not something you always see, it's just really refreshing. And I, I'm curious to, to hear what you think about that. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, I talked to Phil before the season started. CBS holds a NFL media day every year in New York. And he was there, Romo was there, all their analysts and um, play-by-play people and production people were there. So I sat with him for a little bit. And, uh, you know, I, I asked him literally the questions you were asking about, you know, how does he feel and has he interacted with Tony? And he, he, you know, he's publicly sort of said all the right things. And he said, um, and I think it probably has to do with the fact that maybe as an athlete, he was used to that. He's, you know, he was not, obviously he was pissed off initially, but once sort of that initial anger sort of subsided, he thought about it. They were offering him a great job on the NFL today. Didn't have to travel as much. Yeah. Um, it was a new challenge for him. He likes opinion. He likes to be in the studio. And so he thought it could be um, an interesting move for him. He also – I don't know if this was lip service, but I remember him specifically saying he didn't think that job was his. How he looked at it was, I'm the guy sitting in the 1A chair. That's not my job. That's the 1A job. And now Romo has that job. I was only a seat filler in the same way Tony is a seat filler. Uh, Sims also told me he called Romo um, and to break the ice uh, when Romo, you know, he tried to get Romo, Romo wasn't there. And then Romo called Sims back at Sims's house. And the first thing he said to Romo when, you know, Romo goes, Hey, Phil, Tony Romo. And Phil Sims goes, Tony Romo, you son of a bitch. <laughs> uh, so that was good. Like it to me, like that breaks the ice and that's pretty funny. 
And so I agree with you. I think Sims has been um, particularly classy with this. I, I think the move was the correct move. I mean, um, I don't think Sims at the end of his run was a really good analyst anymore. I think Romo, as I've written out to death, I think is a revelation. I think he's been awesome. And so it's a move that really has worked well for CBS because this has not been written about as much. I like Phil Sims on the NFL today. I actually I think I it's a pretty well. good fit for him. He's he's um, he offers some interesting takes. He's generally speaking shares you know it's a cliche but shares the mic very well with Burleson and Cower and Asiasen, and I think it's a good place for him because we're not getting you know we're not getting three hours anymore, Phil. We're getting you know forty minutes, and that's a pretty good fit. I think for the audience. So CBS far and away this year is a sports division in terms of talent. Nobody's made better moves because they have, in my opinion, the MVP of the year in Romo. And they were able to take a situation that sometimes could go really, really bad when you get rid of a a high profile talent like Phil and they fit him into the studio. And, you know, they, they, they've, they've, they've sort of made a better show there as well. So, um, that's a good observation by you. Uh, it doesn't always work that way. I mean, even like, you know, behind the scenes stuff, off the record stuff, I have not heard once still blast Tony. And a lot of times when that happens, you know, if a guy's really blasting another guy, it'll filter down even, you know, word of mouth, third hand kind of stuff. And from everything I understand that has not happened with Phil. So kudos to him. Yeah. You know, I started following him on Twitter and, you know, I'm sure you get this way more than I do. But, you know, sometimes people ask me how, how I can tolerate to be on, on Twitter as much as I am. And one of the reasons is that there are, are actually good model, good role models out there. And uh, and Phil Sims is, I think, one of them. If you just look out at how he conducts himself, uh, you know, as a person on Twitter, uh, he's a classy guy. And uh, and it just it's just in this day and age that that's really, really nice and refreshing to see. But uh, on to Romo, uh, I, I'm really interesting because I, I think I should be I should be in uh, in Brent Musburger uh, get off my lawn mode because I'm an old man. <laughs> But he's a revelation to me, and I love him. And I, I don't want him to change anything, and I, I hope they just let him be. That, that's where I am right now. I think they are, yeah. I mean, talking to Jim Rickoff, his producer, and Sean McManus, the head of CBS, that's basically what they've told him to do. They've helped him with mechanics, obviously, and sort of just you know getting used to being on TV. But they have, they have essentially told him not to change his style, his enthusiasm, um, how he diagnoses plays. That, you know, you're always in television uh, for the NFL. You, one of the reasons all these networks want to get people right off the field is because they have um, they 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 have played against these players. They have knowledge of of scheme and design and how certain players play. But a lot of times you'll you'll find it doesn't translate on TV. Ray Lewis was the perfect example. He walked off the field. He just wasn't that great an analyst. It's worked with Romo. Romo can like watch a game and tell you like what the Chiefs like to do, why they like to do it, what he expects on this play why this defensive back does this, why this wide receiver does this. He just has, he's the rare guy who has intimate knowledge of the people he is talking about, and he's able to convey that to the audience. So, again, it is CBS's best hire in a very, very long time. Um, He's, in my opinion, a fun listen, and um, something that probably should be written about more is I think he's revitalized Jim Nance. I think he's just yeah, that made Jim Nance have such a he, – he's made Jim Nance enjoy and be excited about the broadcast far more. And I think they're very good. I, that team is, is already, in my opinion, one of the best uh, NFL announcing teams in football. Yeah, I wanted to ask you if you, if you talk much – 
with Nance since uh, since he's been paired with Roma because you know I see a lot of oh I wonder how Nance feels about this and I wonder how Nance feels about that critiquing uh, going on in my Twitter feed but you know as I listen to him uh, I, I'm listening to a guy who sounds like he's having a lot of fun calling the game. Yeah, I've, I've talked to his producer, so I have an insight there. I've emailed Nance probably five or six times this year, um, and Nance is an honest guy when it comes to this. CBS has told these guys not to talk about Romo and Romo's development. It, gotcha. You know, Nance, Nance, is, Nance, Nance will always say, if Tony wants to talk about it, Tony will talk about it. But that's all directed from PR and, and management because they've, they've sure. intentionally tried to keep Romo away from major media. But I think um, – it's very clear, and certainly it's very clear in talking to Nance's producer, just how much Nance has enjoyed spending time with Romo. And the thing about Nance, and, and you know, Nance, um, I think Nance likes being a teacher uh, with young broadcasting talent. I, I mean, I, I believe that to be really true. I think, I think Nance at his core is a decent guy. And I think he's liked the opportunity to sort of show Tony the ropes in broadcasting. And, um, and Tony's been a very good student. And you know, I, I don't know what Nance's relationship is with Sims. I honestly have no idea. They they could love each other or hate each other for all I know. But I, it's it's very clear that you know you don't often at Jim Nance's age and level. You know, when you're the top guy at a network and you're at Jim's age, you have this new challenge come along late in your career. So I think it's just probably just been a fun year in in like Nance's sort of like all right, I have this new voice, this new guy. You know, how do I approach it, and how do I how do I work my own broadcast? So it it, it strikes me that it's just probably fun for Nance. It's just it's not the same fiftieth trip that he and Phil make to Denver. Right. You know, it's Tony's first trip to Dallas. It's Tony's yeah. first Thursday night game. Like that to me, I think it's very clear in his broadcast. You could just tell he's more excited this year. I mean, if you put Jim on a lie detector, I think he would. I think he. I think he'd be honest and say, I'm enjoying this year maybe more than I've enjoyed the last couple of years. Yeah, so the best compliment I can continue to pay CBS is that uh, if the Romo game is on locally, which it almost always is, uh, I'm watching that and not watching Red Zone. So uh, that's so, that's a, that's a pretty good compliment for CBS. Uh, I, I, it's it's just because it's so different, and uh, and and I'm soaking it in. So Richard, what uh, what didn't we talk about that's a big blip on your radar that you're interested in that you're watching right now? Uh, hmm. What haven't we talked about coming up? Uh, well, I think there's some stories that are going to come up about ESPN uh, next month that we'll be talking about, probably involving um, uh, job reductions. That's yeah. something that uh, is going to come along that we'll we'll probably be talking about more uh, next month. And then in terms of uh, in terms of sort of larger trends and stuff, uh, you know, you're putting me on the spot here, Robert. Uh, we'll, we'll, All right, so we'll, I'm going we'll, we'll, we'll uh, to... We'll have to see. UFC's uh, rights fees coming up. That should be interesting in uh, in 2018. And, you know, like everything else, I'm going to be um, I'm gonna be interested to see how the NFL does in terms of its uh, ratings in the postseason. And the same thing with... Um, same thing with college football. I'll tell you, at least in your world, as a television ratings play, the NBA has been off to an awesome start. Yep. And I'll be very curious to see if that tracks throughout the season. But very early, especially on NBA TV and TNT, those games were up really, really big. And so um, I'll be interested to see if they get that carryover from what was clearly a major interest from this incredible offseason with, you know, all these major figures going to different teams, Kyrie going to the Celtics, Carmelo and Paul George going to the Thunder. So that, that that's something I'll be watching to see if the NBA can carry the momentum through. 
Yeah, the uh, the the schedule gods really lined up with the uh, free agency moves, so they had a lot totally. of really good uh, good good early games. And uh, yeah, because I think last year the the uh, the playoff ratings and the finals ratings were good. Uh, I don't remember the uh, the regular Reg- season. The regular season was down, so that that's that's they they may get um, you know again the the the, the the given the amazing off season, I think that may flip a little bit, but we'll, we'll, you know, we'll see. Uh, but the, you know, there's just more teams I think that are more interesting to the casual fan because of the switch, you know, you, you the Cavs are always going to be interesting, but now maybe people are, uh, you know, in Denver are like fascinated by the Celtics because they have Kyrie, obviously the thunder orange team Lonzo ball with all this attention comes in and you're just, you know, watch some Laker games. The Sixers have Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid, who are healthy. You know, as a casual fan, you may check out the Sixers. So um, the NBA has got a great story, and as both of us know and as both of us have written, they have a really good story in terms of youth because they have the about the lowest median age of uh, of TV viewers of the of the major sports. Yeah, other than uh, other than Spanish language viewing of uh, of soccer. Correct. Uh, right. Yeah, it's uh, NBA. NBA has a has a really good median age. Richard. Thanks for very much for coming back to join the world's fastest growing sports media podcast with that sports TV ratings. All right. I'll see you in 20 weeks, Robert, after Miller, Oren, <laughs> Draper, Austin Carp, Krupe, and you know, the variety of other stars. You, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to compress that. I'm going to try and have all those guys like on one podcast and then have you on the week after that. <laughs> nice. All right. I'll be there. <laughs> all right, Richard. Thanks again. Thanks again to Richard Deitch for joining the podcast. You can uh, check out all the past podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and SportsTVRatings.com. And a little contest to see how many people are listening this far into the podcast, which I'm guessing is less than 10 people. But nevertheless, I'm going to do this contest. I have a Never Worn The Athletic San Francisco version of The Athletic t-shirt, size medium. I will give it to the 10th person who emails me at uh, STVR at uh, sportstvratings.com and uh, send your uh, send your address where you want it shipped and the 10th person who sends me that will uh, will get the t-shirt and we'll see if anybody's actually listening to this Alexa Play the Sports Illustrated Media Podcast with Richard Deitch. I can't get the program Sports Illustrated Media with Richard Deitchy from TuneIn right now. Alexa, play the Sports Illustrated Media Podcast. I can't get the program Sports Illustrated Media from TuneIn right now. Alexa, play the SI Media Podcast with Richard Deitch. I couldn't find I. Media with Richard Byach. <laughs>